Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. The Inside Indy Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxie, makers of the best premium socks I've ever owned. We announced some big news with our friends from Dead Soxie last week. In case you missed it, they've just launched a new product line with navy and gold socks that are perfect for our Inside Indy Sports Podcast listeners. The Dead Soxie folks saw some of the comments made on the Insider Lounge message board, listened to that feedback, and they've delivered a product that aligns with your allegiances. To find the new navy and gold options, head to deadsoxie.com, select Team Colorways under the Collections tab on the website, and you'll be able to see the latest products. You can even search specifically for the colors you're looking for. And if you use the code LUCKY at checkout, that's L-U-C-K-Y, you'll get 25% off your order. We have a thread on the Insider Lounge message board directing you to the new product line, and the Dead Saxy team can interact with you directly on our board. The Dead Saxy folks would greatly welcome any feedback on the product and hope to engage our community in future discussions. I think it's pretty special how involved the Dead Saxy team wants to be with our subscribers, so please take advantage of this deal and help them deliver products that you want to wear. Dead Soxy isn't just investing in our podcast, but it's investing in our entire Inside Indie Sports community. Don't miss out on this deal. Find your new socks at deadsoxy.com and use code LUCKY at checkout for 25% off your order. Notre Dame busted BYU in Las Vegas, and the Irish are starting to look a little bit frisky. The Marshall loss is becoming more of a distant memory after three straight wins over Cal, North Carolina, and BYU. With that winning streak uh, has come the emergence of Drew Pine as a more capable quarterback in Notre Dame's offense. And so for our latest state of the quarterback room discussion, we reached out to former Notre Dame quarterback Malik Zaire, host of the Lucky Lefty podcast, to help us out. Malik, thanks for joining us. Man, thanks for having me. I love this podcast. Malik, (laughs) uh, I I guess just to start, how good would you say Drew Pine is playing right now? Uh, He's playing good as expected, man. We've been playing defenses that – we should beat and are expected to beat on paper. So for doing your job like Tommy wanted him to in the early first half of Cal, I think you can say he's doing it. Uh, is I think the where we are as a spoiled fan base at the quarterback position is, can you do it against teams we're not supposed to beat? And I think that's what's just the overall uh, perspective of evaluating quarterbacks at at this school. Now, if he was at Purdue or one of these smaller schools that don't usually compete for a championship, Drew Pond would be another solid quarterback or capable quarterback. I think that's a better way of putting it. Malik, um, I, I was, you know, when I was looking at, went back and looked because I couldn't remember how tall you are, and you were listed at six foot. He's listed at 5'11 and a half, and people talk about, his size and whether he's too small or some, I'm not sure that his height is as true to reality as yours is, um, is listed, but was height ever an issue with you in terms of seeing over the line and having to move out of the pocket? Was it ever a difficulty for you? I think in, in truthfulness it's hard until you understand what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know or don't feel comfortable in the progression or the read or knowing what you're going against, it looks like a lot of mess. Yeah. <laughs> it's not until you learn the game at a high enough level to where you can delineate, you know, where you where the ball needs to be, whether you can see all the time or not. Uh, it's not a clear picture all the time 
I don't think for anybody unless you're like six five and up because you know the linemen are only getting taller, so it ain't like <laughs> six feet problem or, or six feet quarterbacks are the only ones having issues. I mean, six three quarterbacks are having yeah. issues. So I think um, if anything, it's just a matter of knowing your lanes. Uh, there's offenses that have wider splits for shorter quarterbacks like the Saints used to. So there's different adjustments you can make. I think it's in 2022 and how the offenses are looking crazy as they are now. There's not a lot of excuses left, you know, because offensive creative uh, creativity has expanded in, and especially in college football. Malik, what what do you like about what Drew has done these last couple of games for Notre Dame's offense, and what do you feel like is maybe the next step for him? I like that he's not put the ball in harm's way, and and that just saves a lot. You know, when you're talking about a guy that's a very capable guy, you talk about a guy that doesn't give the ball away to the other team, and I think that's a huge difference between the first two games and the last couple of games that we've played, just what not giving the ball away can do for your offense. And then also to see how he's distributed the ball to the talent that we have on our offense that people love to claim that we don't. So we got to see flashes from our receivers. We got to see Mike, the Michael Mayer 87 show uh, on, a, on a week-to-week basis now that's consistently uh, what we expect. And then just to be able to have the running backs add that very, very helpful uh, sidekick uh, and, and and take the pressure off of Tyler having to win games, throwing it 30-plus times a game. So uh, the team and everything included is just really good to see that uh, uh, everybody's really <laughs> playing, at, playing at the expectation level. I think without that Marshall loss, we would be at the very same spot that we will be with Tyler Buckner, especially coming into our groove playing teams that on paper were way more talented then. Okay. You you touched on something there, and I think it's going to be interesting, and you kind of went through this yourself. People say, well, if Drew Pine plays well the rest of the season, what's going to happen to Tyler Buckner? So let me start here. You get hurt early in 2015. Brian Kelly in the locker room on the – TV show they have says, you know, it's all okay, Malik. You'll, we'll be ready for you to be the starter next year. And so you're kind of going through that with, with that mindset. But as you're watching Deshaun grow each week, what was going through your mind? Did you wonder if there was going to be a competition? Were you rooting for him? What was that dynamic like? Yeah, I mean, I was obviously rooting for him at the time just because I couldn't do anything. I mean, I literally had a broken ankle, so it's like rooting <laughs> against him wouldn't have helped anything, I don't think. <laughs> so, uh, you know, during that time I was hurt, I mean, I was all for, you know, his development, you know, wanting him to do well, especially at that point, knowing just the politics of the game, like it ain't even like, you know, you just, if you get a chance, you just got to go in there and do well, man, and just hope for the best, so. Uh, with this situation coming up and with the transfer portal being what it is, I don't think Tyler should have to worry about anything only because I do believe Tyler's still more talented than Drew Pine was. That's why Drew Pine was a third string a year ago and a second string to a guy that was a freshman the year before. So I do think that uh, this is a more of a unique situation because I don't think there's uh, – uh, issue for Tyler to get back to where he was. I do think from 
a play calling standpoint, it's important for Tommy to have the right calls ready for Tyler to be the quarterback we're expecting him to be. I don't think that Tommy was prepared for Tyler as much as he's prepared for Drew, just because I believe Drew and Tommy see more eye to eye. Maybe Tommy sees himself in Drew, maybe, but I don't know if Tommy does a great job of coaching dynamic quarterbacks very well. So maybe the fit would make a guy like Tyler Buckner look at the situation and be like, well, maybe this is a place that I can look to in other options just because it's not uh, just from what I've been put in, you know, regardless of what the future looks like, look at what I've already done so far as a sample size and be like, is this good enough for me to want to come back and compete when the offense clearly is flowing better with a guy that's less talented than what I'm able to put out there? The one thing, the hypothetical I want to throw at you too about your own career is I know that there's times that you're frustrated and so forth. I, the the Music City Bowl, you getting the MVP was, you were really emotional and it was really cool to see. But were there ever times, if there the portal was like it is now, back when you were playing, would you have been tempted to look around earlier in your career, do you think? Uh, probably now, just because the way it shakes out, but back, I mean, I don't know, probably not just because I was so close to finishing a degree at that time mm -hmm. and just the timing of how everything was shaking out with the ankle. It was just like, no, nah, I think, and trusting the coaching staff, unfortunately, I just thought it wouldn't have, I would have <laughs> been good like being where I was at. So no, I don't think I would have made a difference. I think I did it the, the, the closest way to the right way you could probably do it is graduate, have a full year of doing whatever you want. Uh, now those decisions are made a lot earlier, except you get a lot more consequences being maybe two years at a place with the school thing. So it just depends on what matters to you. Yeah. If it was all strictly a football thing, you know, yeah, I probably would have considered it after the Ev situation when he came back to school from not even being there and yeah. getting named the starter the second day of camp. That probably would have made me leave that day. But uh, <laughs> other than that, I mean, I was probably locked in the whole way. Right. Malik, you mentioned sort of wondering if Tommy Reese is more comfortable calling an offense with Drew Pine at quarterback versus Tyler Buckner. What what role do you feel like the offensive line has played in, in the ability for maybe Tommy Reese to be a better play caller because the offensive line is, is maybe doing its job a bit better than it was in the first two games of the season? I think the offensive line getting better each week just allows you to be uh, a lot more comfortable in not having a think too hard on the game plan. <laughs> you know, you can run inside zone, outside zone. That covers about 60% of the calls that you're looking at going into the game with if you know you can run the football. So I think that other 40% is just used for Michael Mayer and finding different aspects to get some of these young guys the ball. But that's pretty much the game plan. I don't think that Tommy is scratching his head too hard on what he wants to put out there each week as opposed to when you're considering our quarterback being the best run option during the time he's healthy, that can change the total dynamic of your offense. Cause now how are you going to pass the football? So I think that uh, this is a, probably a better fit for Tommy as the season is right now. And there's no expectations. So uh, expectations on championships this year. So it's just about uh, making sure that the team can continually progress to get ready for these recruits coming in and, seeing who we got on the roster at these skill positions that can stand out when we get a 
generational change in quarterback in the future. Malik, um, that was an interesting comment. I, I'm going to change my question. Do you think um, Tyler Buckner can be that generational talent at a, a quarterback, or is he kind of a, at least an incremental step toward that? Uh, Tyler Buckner has a lot of uh, potential. I mean, you know, um, I don't, I think naturally he's not the, what you would think of the first time seeing a guy that you feel like would be generational. First time seeing Caleb Williams play and they're in the same class, I was like, that's a generational guy. I didn't take two seasons, a season that you playing packages, a season that you playing here and there. And, you know, you can kind of tell Bryce Young was a guy that, Stepped on the scene, you're like, okay, I can see it. Trevor Lawrence's first couple snaps against Texas A&M <laughs> with Kelly Bryant, you're like, he threw a touchdown in the first play. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> it ain't being Trevor Lawrence. So I think we know what Tyler is. And, you know, he's a he's a very capable quarterback, but he's also a quarterback that has a lot of uh, things that are needed in order to show how special he can be. And for this team, I don't know if that's the – the generational talent that you want to see that's going to get us to a championship. But I do think he has some talent that can uh, make a splash in college football. Have you seen enough of Dante Moore, who obviously picked Oregon in the end and CJ Carr to think of them as possibilities of generational talent? I think CJ Carr has a lot of, I think he's hit more of what the ceiling would be for seeing a guy early. Like, I don't think there's much more from a natural growth or talent ability that CJ can get to just because I think he's very technical and very tight. And, you know, he's kind of feel more of a Matt Ryan. And so in a situation going for him, that type of player going to Notre Dame, I think is a great fit for a guy like Tommy Reese who likes to find matchups and run more of a, uh, professional passing game. So I think with that combination, it can be closer to what we want from a championship level. I don't know how athletic CJ is because usually the most athletic guy gets you pretty far too. Yeah. But I think CJ is taking the right direction towards that. Dante, I think Dante has a lot of the same natural abilities. A lot of what generational quarterbacks I look at is how much natural ability do you have without uh, too much of the technique just because the technique can be developed like you see Patrick Mahomes is getting more technical as he's getting older but the natural ability stands out so much and so Dante has a lot of natural ability I don't know if he's the most athletic guy either but he does have some ability to win a lot of games nowadays in college football you're evaluating who's beating Alabama is Drew Pine beating Alabama we can look at it and say no definitively <laughs> not saying that he can't give him a game but if we had to put the game in Drew Pine's hand, can he be out? Absolutely not. But that's okay because yeah. that means the recruiting for that quarterback position has to be very specific and very harsh if we want to get the guy we want. I think CJ can do a great job of competing with that. I still have to see that development uh, his first year at a college. Yeah. But I do think, uh, you know, if we want to make a chance to get close, I think he's a direction towards that. Malik, what, what can – Tyler Buckner do while he's out this year to better prepare himself to improve in going into next season. What what can he take away from watching Drew Pine play quarterback? What can he do um to maybe learn from what he did in those first two games to to help himself next season? Just staying healthy, man. I think it's unfortunate that we made him the 
uh, highest carrier of the football in the first two games he's out there, knowing that he's liable for injury. So his whole thing is how can he stay healthy longer than three or four games as a starter? So everything else is like, I mean, we really can't even tell what is his development is going to look like uh, past five games because that's a lot of time and experience to get better in. So if he can't stay healthy, it just doesn't matter. One thing I wanted to ask you was the fan base would really like to see more of Tobias Merriweather at wide receiver. Um, and, you know, when we asked Marcus and Tommy Reese about it, they were like, well, you know, it's a matter of billing trust and that kind of stuff. What I mean, can you understand what Tobias is going through and what, what his challenges on in getting onto the field, having played with young wide receivers before? I mean, after watching Ohio State beat us with a bunch of freshmen, I don't really know. You know, okay. I don't, right. <laughs> I don't really know. So you know, this doesn't help recruiting. Not playing Tobias because at the end of the day, it's a receiver. This is not the quarterback of the football team. This is not uh, the center of the football team, or even the an edge rusher. This is a guy that you can put in, plug and play, have him run a go route, and if he can win it, throw it to him. I don't know how much more you would require from a receiver unless he just doesn't block at all, which. You know, I doubt that, you know, especially if your comments are saying he does everything it takes to want to be out there. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe it's a seniority thing. But, you know, college football is too volatile now to just not be playing guys based off of no trust because the transfer portal is there. And, you know, guys' egos are a lot different with the NIL and they seeing their friends play. So, you know, hopefully that situation gets figured out. But... There is no excuse, in my opinion, because we recruited Tobias for the things that we deal with and that we struggle with, which is press on third down. Malik, Braden Lindsay remains in the starting lineup playing a lot, even though the production hasn't necessarily been there for him. Do you think there is still value in having a receiver with his speed, even if he isn't making the plays? Or I guess, what is your perspective on, on him continuing to play, even if he's maybe not getting a lot of catches? It just shows that we're not valuing the position or that spot of the field as much to where it's like, you know, we can put anybody out there. It doesn't really matter. We're not targeting that position. We're not main or showcasing that as being a threat of the offense. So it's just more like a placeholder, it feels like. But uh, even with that, I think Brady Lindsay adds value with the speed as a decoy. But, you know, eventually teams will start to settle in to realize we're not going to throw it very deep. So maybe they – play a little closer, but I don't know. I think it's uh, it's still potential hanging out there, you know, for offense to do well and still have guys on the field that we like, man, and somewhere else they'll probably have X amount of yards and catches and touchdowns. I think shows that there's still growth to have and there's still growth to go if we want to be a team that can dominate and not just win football games. Okay. I got to ask you this question. I've been dying to ask you, and it has nothing to do with the offense. It's very random. So you're there, your freshman year, I believe your sophomore year, Brian Van Gorder comes in as the defensive coordinator, and he's there two full years. He gets fired during the third year. Did you sense, I mean, what was your impression of what he was doing with the defensive guys? What did your friends on the defense say about him as they were playing for him? Because <laughs> – I, I remember telling Brian Kelly in his office, I go, I'm surprised you brought him back for year three. And he goes, well, I think this year is going to be different. So 
I'm just curious your experience. Well, it was just like he was such a, a freaking character, you know, <laughs> like so him just being a freaking character and then you having to listen to him because he's your defense coordinator. It just made it so much more of like a like this isn't real. This isn't a real guy. So like, <laughs> just how do you take this guy serious in the midst of him being like, like you would think he would, it's like having Will Ferrell be your your football coach. It's like how serious can I take this dude? But he's dead serious. But you know, like deep down, like you can't be serious. But he's serious. So you know that. And him being just who he was as a person was such an influence to the dramatization of why the defense couldn't do X, Y, and Z that it just made it worse than what it really was. I thought his scheme was good. I just thought it was very uh, detailed to where you just didn't have enough time in the day for a linebacking core defense to really get the full grasp of it. But in year three, maybe it would have been better, but who knows? Well, in year three, he got fired, but it's interesting because I thought he, as great as Jalen was in college, I think he could have been better. I think he could have gone down as one of the all-time greats with the right defensive coordinator, but that's my opinion. Yeah, it's just unfortunate Well, for 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 Jalen and for, I guess, the program that we got two awesome D coordinators right after, Yeah, you know, who are doing well as head coaches and, and all the stuff they want to do now. So, um, you know, that's just a – one of the things that added to the Brian Kelly story of Notre Dame craziness. <laughs> Stick okay, with okay. Let me let me follow up. Are you are you rooting for Brian at LSU, or are you just kind of taking it all in, or or are you like, man, were you uh, happy that got, Tennessee ran? You know, I think I got a close enough, close enough uh, being around Brian Kelly to just kind of just take it all in. You know, just to see him. And not be surprised by the stuff going on. I mean, you know, I think he is another character yeah. <laughs> in the big movie of college football. So <laughs> it's better to watch it on TV than be around it. I tell you that. Uh, Malik, circling back to Van Gorder, I was curious. You were in the same quarterback room with his son Montgomery. What, what was that dynamic like? How, was was that awkward, or was did Montgomery handle that stuff well? I, I'm I'm curious what that was like. Man, I love Gummy. Man, he's uh he's totally different than his dad in terms of just whatever. But he's he loves football, so you can love that about Gummy. Right, he's competitive and shit. I love Gummy, man. I think Gummy, you know, if it was anywhere else, I think he would have been able to at least play just because he was so competitive. In my opinion, he was a redhead Baker Mayfield. <laughs> I think he could have had some success at, you know, like a different school or whatever. But like, if he went to Arizona, I think he'll make Arizona kind of solid for a few, few years, you know? So he's definitely got the, the fire and passion of his dad. He's just not the same character, you know, but he takes it well. He knows his dad is a, is a memeable person. <laughs> my last question from you Malik and I'm really enjoying this is um what do you think of the current defense what what's your thoughts about uh what you've seen through five games and how much they might be able to improve I think it's just a, a well-built you know evenly consistently talented defense I don't think there's a a bona fide superstar 20 sack or Kyle Hamilton type of player. I think there are a lot of 
you know, second tier on the rise of first tier young guys coming up like the Ben Morrisons and the Jaden Mickeys. I think Cam Hart needs to stay another year, even though I think he has a lot of potential just because I think he's been injured a little bit. Yeah. Which has kind of made it look a little worse in the games than what I feel like he could play at. Uh, linebackers are, you know, it's a lot of, a lot to be seen and still some to, you know, uh, still be figured out in that linebacker core. Defensive line, I just feel has the, the most capability but doesn't use all of his capability every game. But they're getting better each week. So maybe that's because we're playing <laughs> – Worst teams, or maybe because we're well, North Carolina's out. offense was really good. That yeah. was that was that was a good offense, that although they gave off. up a lot of points. <laughs> yeah, even though they gave up a lot of points, it's, that's a shootout type of offense. But yeah, I do think that we are still a team that's contenders for uh November and 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 going to be making a, a huge problem for a lot of teams that are looking to maybe getting a playoff contention down the line in the schedule. Yeah, to to lean into that, Malik. Is there anything that Notre Dame can do in the next two weeks that can convince you that a win over Clemson is possible? I think we can beat Clemson just because I don't think their quarterback is is good enough uh, to just be like, oh, we have no chance. Like, you know, I didn't feel like we was going to lose when they played with DJ last time. Mm-hmm. So I don't think much is going to change now. And then, but I did feel though when they got Trevor back, it'll be a totally different game, which it was, but. <laughs> But DJ, I feel like it's an evenly game, uh, evenly based game. Regardless, I think their defense is just as good as our defense. I think our secondary is better, but uh, their front seven, I think we our front seven can hang with their front seven, and so it's a probably the most evenly based game we'll have all season. And it's going to come down to who's more consistent and who can execute more at the quarterback position. I think we can execute better than DJ at the quarterback position, but if K. Klubnik gets in there, who knows? All right, Malik. Well, that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us, and good luck with everything you're working on. And thanks so much for having me. As a reminder, the Inside ND Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Socks, the maker of the best dress socks that you'll ever wear. How do I know this? Well, you should know this by now. I've been telling you every week. They've been a great sponsor for the Inside ND Sports Podcast, but I'll give you a couple of reminders. One, the patented technology with the no-slip guarantee. Two, the bamboo fabric, which gives you a luxury feel. It also gives you a cool feel on a hot day. And I think the most exciting thing about um, the Dead Socks product line is they have now socks that align with your favorite football team. And we all know who that is. So if you want to check out the new line, it's called Navy and Gold. Uh, you go to the deadsoxy.com website and you click up on the top and you get to the colorways navigation tab. And that will take you to the collection that you're looking for. And, and they're all different kinds of socks with uh, navy blue and gold colors. Some of them have shamrocks on them. They really look cool. Whether you're going to the game or going to the boardroom, uh, you want to have the dead soxy socks. So again, that's deadsoxy.com. And if you want to get a discount, then put uh, Lucky into the promo code. Use that promo code. That'll get you 25% off on some great socks. So deadsoxy.com, promo code Lucky. All right, now it's time for questions. 
Our question segment is powered by AcrePro Midwest Farm Group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First question I have for us, Eric, is from Mike D. Rochester on the Insider Lounge. And this is a little bit of a long one, so bear with me. Was the defensive breakdown BYU's long run from the own five on third and 18, two long pass plays, including one to a receiver with nobody within 10 yards of him, due to sloppy play, poor tackling, poor coaching, or what? The D can look amazing on one series and then amazingly bad on the next. It also seemed like the O-line regressed a bit from the Cal game, maybe a little rusty from the bye week. Thanks for all the great coverage of Notre Dame, including Kyle. So let's start with the defense first. What... What are, you, what are your thoughts on Notre Dame's defensive breakdowns and what 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 went into those? Well, I love when I'm given multiple choice. I, I think I always did it better at those quizzes. I do have a <laughs> side note. My 10-year-old grandson was doing homework with me, or I checked over his homework, and he had a multiple choice. And one of the questions, he wrote in the answer, and I go, what's this about? And he goes, the teacher's trying to trick me. The, the answer's not on here. And it, it wasn't the case. It was actually one of the choices. So you that were would be trying... pretty, that would be pretty diabolical for a teacher of a 10 year old to do a multiple choice. And the correct well, and especially, you know, if one of our questioners were diabolical enough to not give the right option, but I think it's really a combination of player confusion and coaching. I mean, if a, it seemed like people weren't in the right spot. I mean, it's it's a lack of execution. So is that a missed tackle? I think that there were misses there, but I think there was just as much misreading the play and misunderstanding the play and, and the other plays as well. It just seemed like people were in the wrong spots. They made the wrong reads. Now, is that on the player or is that on the coach? I think it's on both. If the player can't execute and Marcus says this, Marcus Freeman says this, you have to get to the bottom of why is are things too complicated, you know, because they've obviously impressed you enough in practice to roll them out there. Um, so I, Tyler's making a face, so I'm going to let him answer this part. <laughs> that was not an intentional face, so I don't even know what I did. Um, I, 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 well, one, I'm, I'm, a, I actually plan to write about some of this stuff on, today on Tuesday. Um, so I'll have some more details and, and clips so you can sort of see what I'm talking about um, on InsideNDSports.com. But I think, I mean, it's a combination of everything, I think. I mean, the long passing touchdown, Jaden Mickey was supposed to stay with the receiver with the safety blitz. He didn't. Um, if I were to make one rule for Notre Dame's defense is to not run safety blitzes with Jaden Mickey on the field. That has not been a good recipe. Uh I, I so to me that's on coaching as much as anything. He it seems like Jaden Mickey continues to be put in positions that he's not totally comfortable in. Um, and there's great promise for his future. Um, and everyone likes him, but he keeps being stuck in plays where he's not necessarily be, been put in the best positions. And the positions that he's put in he isn't necessarily handling the right way. It, it's or so it seems as being explained to us. So, 
the the long run on third and eighteen, I think I think it was a good offensive scheme and play based on what Notre Dame's defense was. They were giving them all kinds of room and they sort of took advantage of it. And then DJ Brown comes up, had a chance to make a tackle like six yards short of a first down, and he missed the tackle. Um, now, granted, you, you you shouldn't have to rely on your safety to make a tackle to stop a third and eighteen run, but that was the situation it was in the way Notre Dame was sort of aligned. Um, and then the long touchdown run. Um, I just I just think Notre Dame just sort of got outplayed on that. Um, one block sort of took um, Gabriel Rubio to the ground and then knocked out JD Bertrand in the same in the same block. Um, and, and that one was strange. DJ Brown was sort of following the tight end as if it were a pass still, um, and didn't recognize that it was a run at all um, until he totally vacated that that side of the field and made it made it made what could have been a, a good run into a touchdown run. So all those things sort of build on each other and uh tend to i mean that that was what i asked marcus freeman on monday was are these big like because to me i think the deep like sort of like mike said the defense plays well and all of a sudden it's like well what the heck happened to the defense um and i just think sometimes it's that thin of a line between having a successful defense um and not based on the play call and the execution and the people who are being put in the positions that are being asked to make the plays uh, let's talk a little bit about the offense. What did, what did you think of the uh, – what did Mike ask? Uh, it seemed like the offensive line regressed a bit from the Cal game. What Do you agree with that? I'm, I'm not sure that I saw that. Um, you know, I think that there were times that they had trouble dealing with um, some of the things that BYU was doing in terms of pre-stat movement and also some of their twists and stunts and things like that. But I think by and large – when they needed to kind of get it together against that, they were able to, I, I would imagine uh, Mike is thinking about um, maybe the, you know, the getting down to the goal line right at the beginning of the game where they were just kind of trying to run it down BYU's throat and they didn't get in the end zone and had to kick a field goal. But I think overall, I mean, their pass protection was really good. And I thought that there was some good run blocking too. So, um, you know, I'm probably disagree a little bit there. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that the offensive line regressed. I, I I don't think they. I mean, they certainly didn't play as well as they played against UNC, but I think that has just as much to do with BYU being better defensively than, than UNC yeah. is. Um, I think the offensive line played well for the most part. I think certainly the short yardage running situation isn't great. They haven't been doing really well in those situations. I'm not sure. Like they're obviously not getting a ton of push, but I also don't know that like some of the plays is just like, okay, our offensive linemen are gonna move the block the defensive linemen, and it's gonna be one on one with our running backs and their linebackers, and the linebackers are being the running backs in those situations. Um, so I'm not sure. I mean, my, my suggestion would be put a fullback in there to take care of the take care of the linebacker, and then it's a little bit easier. But um I think uh that would be sort of that's that I think that's the one criticism I would have of the offensive line is just it doesn't seem like whatever they're being asked to do or whatever they're needing to do in short yard situation is necessarily panning out. Next question is from at hockey dude, 8487 status of the linebacker core and its improvement for the rest of the season. Also how to generate more explosive plays on offense. So those were more, so those were more prompts than questions, but I'll go ahead and uh, (laughs) let let you you take take your first crack at them. Well, yeah, if you, raised your voice at the end of the rest (laughs) of the season. Um, So right now you have basically five 
guys playing linebacker. You have J.D. Bertrand, Bo Bauer, Maris Leofau, Jack Kaiser, and Prince Collie, and a little bit of sprinkling of Junior Tuahalamaka mixed in. Um, but really, it's basically those five. And they've been asked to learn at least two positions, some of them three. Um, and we've seen Jack Kaiser play all three positions at different times. Um, Prince Colley is getting more playing time as as he had a concussion late in uh, training camp, and now he's healthy and he's been kind of showing out and practice a little bit more. So what what do I think is going to happen there, I guess? I, I, they're going to have to figure out how to get the best out of that group. Um, you know, I, I think Marist didn't have a very good game against BYU, and it's perplexing to me. Uh, so they, they need to get him right. I think that's really a big key there. Um, and then it's how much you're going to play Collie. I think Collie can really help them, but where does he fit in the most? He plays Marist's position primarily, um, which is the weak side linebacker, the will linebacker. Um, I think there's potential for them to get better. I, I know Tyler hasn't been as critical of them as maybe I have and the fan base has, but I, I do think that there's a higher ceiling for them. I think down the road, th this group is going to be really, really good in a year or two when you start to see Nolan Ziegler get on the field, Jalen Sneed get on the field, Junior Tuhalamaka play more, you know, a couple of years down the road. Then you have uh, Drake Bowen um, and Zinter and Osbury. I mean, those are guys that have more potential to be difference makers at those positions. I, I think especially Jalen Sneed, you know, they, they don't have somebody like Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa who could stay on the field in nickel situations and, and run with a slot receiver. You know, the hope is that Jalen Sneed turns into that guy eventually, but right now he's a scout team player, so they're not close to that. So they have to play a little bit differently. That would be my thing. And then I know that there's a second part of the question. I'll let you answer the linebacker thing first. Yeah, I, 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 I when you were talking there, I think something sort of maybe resonated with me is that I think maybe Notre Dame fans have been spoiled a little bit by the level of the linebacker play that they've had. <laughs> when you say they don't have a Jeremiah Wusukormo, it's like, well, yeah, not many people do. I mean, he was a Buckus award-winning linebacker um, and a very, very talented player. Um, and so I think if you're expecting someone on this team to look like Jeremiah Wusukormo, your expectations are in the wrong places. I, I think we thought that maybe Maris Leofau could do some things like that, or, or maybe in a different way. Um, impact the game, but he hasn't done that. I think that's been the biggest disappointment from Notre Dame's linebacker position. Although I think JD Bertrand is uh, Notre, uh, uh he's the whipping boy. Yeah, he's the whipping boy. He's everyone's every every message board is least favorite linebacker. Um, but I I don't think he's as bad as as he gets blamed for being. Um, I think he's very assignment sound for the most part. Um, I do think the linebacker play wasn't great against BYU. To me, like the criticism of the linebacker play that came after the Cal game is more befitting of what it should be getting right now based off of, of what they did against BYU. Um, so I, I think, I do think some of that is related to the defensive line play, the interior defensive line play. I don't think has been aiding the linebackers, but I think specifically with Maris, it's just like, sometimes I'm not sure what, what is he doing out there? Um, and that, and that, that is, 
sort of strange because we, we talk about all these other positions. It's like, if we can't trust you, we can't play you. But it's like, okay, what what is Marius Leofau doing that you trust him? Because it doesn't seem like he's replicating that a lot in the games. Um, I would I would like to see more of Jack Kaiser inside. He's been better at that than I expected. Um, so I think that's that's something they can do, especially when they're playing so much nickel, which maybe they don't do that as much if Tariq Bracey misses some time. Um, but I do think that um, if you're taking Jack Kaiser off the field because you're playing nickel a lot, I would propose putting him putting him inside, which he has been doing with J.D. Bertrand out. And I think Notre Dame is being a little bit more open-minded to that too. And and maybe find a role for Prince Collie too. Those would be the two things that I think that um, Notre Dame can maybe do to solidify what they're doing defensively at the linebacker position. Um, and then how to generate more explosive plays on offense. That was the other second. Well, question. With, with Tommy Reese as the play caller, I think his key to getting more dynamic and explosive plays on offense continues to be it, it might sound backwards but the offensive line getting better and the running game getting better makes it puts them in a position to get defenses off guard and and maybe on first down throw the ball down the field it also you know if they're having to devote resources to the running game maybe put an eighth person in the box then you have one less defender to deal with a passing game so I would think as the running game and the offensive line improve, it opens the door. And then certainly the wide receivers have to continue to develop. And I think Tobias Merriweather is one of those guys, but I think um, Lorenzo Styles has, there's a lot more to Lorenzo Styles game that we've seen. You know, I was kind of, I told Tyler, I, I heard Jason Garrett, on the NBC broadcast, call him a possession receiver. And I thought, wow, <laughs> if that's his impression of it, they do need to rethink their offense a little bit. Yeah, I, I would agree with getting Lorenzo Styles the ball in space more. I think there's still room for getting Chris Tyree the ball in space more. Now, obviously, when you do that with a screenplay and he had all kinds of room if you just caught the pass, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a chance for an explosive play there. Now, obviously – when people think explosive plays, they're not like, yeah, run more and more screens. But I, I do think that's sort of what Notre Dame offense can do if, and I think that plays to the, those players' skill sets rather than like, I don't know that there's going to, I think Lorenzo Styles can run deep and catch a post like he did against UNC. I'm just not sure at what frequency Notre Dame can rely on that. Um, and I think when you, when you trust your offense to sort of move the ball the way it has in terms of running, running well, getting inter- short to intermediate passes. Sometimes maybe you're you're worried to give up a, a give up a play on first and 10 because you're not sure, well, are we going to be able to get 10 yards in the next two plays? Um, but when you risk like a deep pass. So I, I think I think Tommy's still sort of trying to figure out how to how to sprinkle those shots into the offense. Um I th- I still think the running game can provide some more explosive plays. It, it certainly did um this past week against BYU. Not, not a ton of them, but those runs by Logan Diggs and Audric Estime were um, very important um, for Notre Dame winning that game. So I think there's still some room um, for growth there. Next question is from Christopher Cruz at ChrisND92. I think it's Josh Lug that moves his arm forward and back before every snap. What's up with that? And Eric actually asked me about this last week, so I'm going to see if he can remember what I told him. And, and <laughs> Oh, okay. You want me to tell you? So I yeah, have this yeah. question in chat. I use my – Phone a friend lifeline. I think I actually text or email 
email a friend lifeline. So this is the communication for their nonverbal that basically Josh Lug looks back and watches when uh, Drew Pine claps and when he is it clapping. It's he raises his leg. Raises his leg. When he does that, then Josh Lug moves his arm and that tells Zeke Corell it's time to snap the ball. That's right. He nailed it. Yeah, it's 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 how Notre Dame does its silent count. It's pretty pretty uh commonplace um so it's not like Notre Dame invented this <laughs> method or anything like that but uh, it is interesting it's considering we just got asked about it twice in the same week that people are noticing it more um I was I know a few years ago when Notre Dame was clapping I was very against that and it was not working they were having plenty of offsides issues and certainly they've had some offsides issues um and I think that was part partly because of the transition from Tyler Buckner to Drew Pine but I think once Drew Pine's sort of settled in but Notre Dame did have to use a silent count. I know it's it was a Notre Dame home game, but it was it was loud in there. The BYU fans were loud, um, and Notre Dame was was ready for that and was able to handle that. So it seems like it works well. Well, it, the, I mean the the downside of a silent count is you sort of lose the advantage of knowing what the count is, or so, and it can be a little bit predictable. Now Zeke doesn't have to snap it right away. Um, that that signal is Drew is telling Josh like, "Hey, I'm ready for the I'm ready for the snap," um, and then Zeke can snap it when he's ready so everyone's sort of waiting for Zeke to do it and obviously you want to be in some sort of rhythm there but you don't want to be too predictable so the defense can sort of anticipate it as well all right next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie what grade would you give Reese Reese's overall game plan and what grade would you give his play calling in the red zone what do you think he should have done in the red zone to score more points it felt like play calling was very poor in the red zone this game I would say his overall play calling, I guess I would give him an A minus. I, you know, when you look at the final stats, they were close. They're almost at 500 total yards. They were very balanced um, in terms of running and passing. The total yardage there was almost 50 50. Um, they, I, again, I think you have to look at the total game plan when you're looking at the offensive game plan. They wanted to play complementary football. So they, did that they had the ball 40 minutes over 40 minutes and BYU had it 19 minutes and five seconds BYU only got off 46 offensive plays Notre Dame had 73 so in doing that maybe you're sacrificing some dynamic plays to hold on to the ball and and play keep away so from that standpoint it was really good um from a standpoint of red zone I went back and looked at the plays they were in the red zone four times. They scored one touchdown, which isn't a good percentage. They hit two field goals, and then they turned the ball over on downs. The fortunate thing for them was when they turned the ball over on downs, they got points out of it because they got this, a safety right, right after that. Uh, but when I look at the play calls, and not to get too detailed, I mean, I wrote them all down. There did look like there was some predictability in, in some of it. The, the when, after the Tariq Bracey interception, when they got into the red zone, it was almost like they said, okay, let's just kind of impose our will here and um, and just run the ball down their throat. So there wasn't a lot of creativity on that one. I think one thing that limits them a little bit in the red zone is that Pine isn't the greatest quarterback sneak quarterback nor is he necessarily a threat on the perimeter to run either like Tyler Buckner would be. 
So I think that limits the play calls, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't jazzed about the red zone play calling. That's why he didn't get a regular a. So what, what did the red zone grade get, get though? What would you write? What would you grade the red zone play? Call? I would say C minus. Okay. Yeah. We, we were in the same boat. I, I had a, a, an A- minus for the overall game plan and a C for the red zone. I, I, I broke down the 12 plays, um, and in my um, opinion, there were four good calls, four calls that were fine, that were executed poorly, and then four bad calls. So in my mind, essentially, Tommy gets a pass on eight of those 12, so that's um, n- not great, but not that's, terrible. That's a D. Tyler or um, C minus. Well, yeah, if we're if Three we're using thirds. if we're using the traditional scale, that that's what that would be. Um, I I think I would use Chris Tyree less in the red zone. I'm not sure. I I know he ha- can score, but I, it just doesn't seem like the best use of his of him out of the backfield. Now, maybe you if you want to use him for a jet sweep or do some of the motion stuff with him and keep him on the field as a threat for that, I'm okay with. But um. The, the one run, I think he still got four yards, but it was just like, what is he supposed to do there? He ran into the field where there were three defenders waiting for him. It was just, not, it, I thought it was a bad play call, even though it got four yards. It's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what was supposed to happen in this situation. Um, I don't, I didn't like the fourth and one call. Um, it looked at me like it was an RPO where Ty, uh, not Tyler, Drew Pine had, had the option to uh, keep it and throw it to Matt Salerno, who was in motion and running, and I think if he would have thrown it to him, he probably would have scored. Uh, but he didn't do that. He handed it off to Audrick Estime. Um, now, maybe he didn't actually – maybe he wasn't reading the option. It, if you watch the replay, Drew Pine sort of just, like, stands there and looks sort of in Salerno's direction. He's like, man, I probably should have thrown it to him. <laughs> that At least that was my read of the situation. I don't know if that's that's exactly what how it occurred from their perspective, but that was what I was uh, reading into. And I, I just don't know that Drew Pine – has shown that quick decision making in those situations yet that I would be comfortable like making that play call on fourth and one. Um, and just because of the way it was run, I think it was a little bit slower. And so I don't think Audric Estime was able to get into the line of scrimmage um, as fast as I would like. Like I said, like I said earlier, I would use the fullback a little bit more in those situations. And I, 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 I want to see the other tight ends get involved in the red zone more as well. Like there needs to be some passing function to uh, Eli Raritan and Holden stays in the red zone. If, if they're going to be running 13 personnel um, from time to time. Um, and then um, I think those can maybe give Notre Dame some better options in the red zone. I, I It was obviously from the overall game plan perspective, the fact that you score from tw- score twice from outside the red zone, that helps. So you're not, you weren't relying on only scoring in the red zone, but yeah, one touchdown and four trips is, is not what you want to see. Next question is from Bert Leonard at Bert 2834. We hear all the time about the first handful of plays being scripted. Does a turnover on the first play of the game by the offense or defense change that script? Uh, I think it's maybe where the turnover would occur and and when and how. But I would say um, if, for example, Tariq Bracey had returned that pass into the red zone, into maybe inside the 10-yard line, then, yeah, you're not going to run the same script there that you would have had you, you know, started where they did, which was inside the 50 or, you know, on the, or are in your own 25. Um, If you commit a turnover, I don't think that changes the script. Um, 
you know, I think it, you just go out there the next time with those scripted plays. But I'll be honest with you, it's not something I've asked a lot about. Um, I've it's not something that's uh, been on, on the front part of my brain um, in terms of when we ask questions. I do think it's a really good question. It's just something that hasn't hit my curiosity as much. So I'll pass it over to Tyler. Here. Yeah, and I, I haven't either, but I do think it's something that may be worth asking Tommy and Reese about if we get an opportunity to do that. Now, we do get a chance to talk to him sometimes, just depending on the way the questions are being handed or when he's talking based on who else is up there at the same time as him. Um, we might not be able to do that, but I, I think I, I would be curious what, I mean, cause obviously that's what matters. What, what, what he thinks about that then versus what we think about that. Cause uh, I've never been asked to call plays before. So I, but I, I would think it would matter. Like you mentioned the red zone part of it. And for instance, like on Notre Dame's first drive, once they get into the red zone, the script maybe had more plays on it. Um, to get down the field, if you say if, if Notre Dame's starting from its own 25, um, and so maybe you skip some of the plays on the script because now you're in the red zone and you have the, your script first scripted red zone plays. Um, so I think it might change some, I, but I don't really know for sure. I, I think I think if you're comfortable with your offense and your personnel and their ability to execute, you don't necessarily have to stick to the script. I, I think um, scripting is probably more necessary when – you feel like, okay, these guys need to know what we're doing in order for us to have success, or th- these are the plays that I'm confident in them doing, and maybe that list isn't very long, but I, I would like to think that that isn't necessarily the case for Notre Dame's offense. Next question is from SGAB75 on the Insider Lounge. Do you like the running back rotation between the th- three running backs, or should Logan Diggs and Audric Estime receive more carries? Uh, I like it. I mean, I, I think I advocated for more Chris Tyree a few weeks ago, and I think it it's paid off for them. He didn't have his best game against BYU, but I think he's an important element. He still gives them the home run threat, although we haven't seen it. The longest runs have been by Logan Diggs and Audric Estime at this point. And, and just the flexibility he gives your offense. If you see something, a matchup that you like, you can slide him down into the slot receiver. And he's a guy that can get open and, guy that you can throw screen passes to when he catches them. Uh, but I like the three-headed monster. I think that they have accepted that and they embrace it. And I think he's an important part of it. Yeah. When you're talking about each of those guys, Logan Diggs and estimate getting more than 15 carries already. I don't know that you need to give them each 20 carries. Um, so I, I like the rotation. Like I mentioned earlier, I, I don't think Tyree had a, had a great game, but I still want him involved in the offense and find different ways to use him. Um, but yeah, keep keep rolling with the three, um, keeping them healthy and um, available is important as well. Um, so I I think I think you need to keep Chris Tyree involved and find ways to get him the ball, but probably less in traditional ways out of the backfield than those other two. Next question is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. I know some fans love to blame Under Armour, but that's not my point with this question. Why does Chris Tyree seem to fall down on a lot of his runs so far this season? We would think it would affect everybody um, if it were the shoes. <laughs> right. Um, only he gets the wrong shoes. Yeah, <laughs> only he gets the wrong shoes. They oil them up before the game. I, I'm not sure, you know. I, I would be purely guessing here. So, you know, I'm just going to say I don't know on this one. I haven't had a chance to ask him about it. Uh, it's something that we could certainly 
uh, ask Tommy Reese about if we get a chance to uh, wedge in a question about that. Um, I had noticed it as much. I think it happened in the BYU game, but I, I, I don't know that the surface for what was the surface out there? It was turf. Okay. It was turf. So, um, you know, maybe that had something to do with it. Although they practice some on turf at, at Notre Dame, they have um, a grass field and a couple of turf fields. So, um, so I, I'm not sure. I'm going to pass that one to Tyler. Yeah. I, He's smarter than me. <laughs> well, I don't know that I have a great answer either. I do think he might have been smarter doing... about falling down. I, yeah. I'm, well, yeah. I'm much more familiar with falling down than you are. Um, I think he was dealing with a little bit of an ankle issue. I saw, I saw him come off the field at one point that maybe he was um, dealing with that. So maybe that's related to it. I'm in agreement with you that I don't necessarily recall it being a big issue before this game. I, like there was, I, I don't no, no other runs came to mind prior to the BYU game where it's like, Oh yeah, Chris Tyree fell down there, but maybe that, that I could be wrong there. I just, it just didn't come to mind. Um, I would like my, my, my. I wonder if maybe he's trying to do too much and is running too fast while doing that, and that sort of just gets him sort of off balance. Um, I think, I think there was one run that it was like, okay, that he probably should have stayed on his feet there, and I think maybe he was expecting contact, and so maybe sometimes that could be an issue. But sort of like Eric said, we're we're just kind of guessing here. I don't really know. I would I would be curious to get feedback from Chris or or Dylan McCullough in terms of okay, what, how do you diagnose what's going wrong here, um, and how frequently does it happen? How fixable is it? Next question is from Charles W. Wolf. While the O-line is making great strides and the pass protection against BYU was unreal, are you seeing anything amiss on the short yardage runs? The struggles on third and two and fourth and one against Marshall and BYU seem out of character. P.S. Looks like the answer to who will be a breakout performer after the bye week was Jaden Thomas. So um, I would acknowledge uh about the Jaden uh, Thomas answer, Charles, I don't know if that was something that you offered to us, but if you did, I give you credit for that. If there were fabulous prizes that we could send you. <laughs> I'm not sure if if, if he provided uh, a suggestion. I think he may have been the one who asked the question, I think is what he was getting at. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Well, if he had answered it, asked any answer. Maybe he did. Question, I could be wrong. So, Charles, if you did say that, kudos. Like Eric was trying to give to you, but I was trying to take away from you at the same time. <laughs> okay, so as far as the short yardage, I wouldn't compare Marshall and BYU offensive lines. I think the offensive line had all kinds of issues against Marshall that it hasn't had since. Um, against BYU, again, I think there were a couple things. One, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, one is I don't think teams really expect um, that Drew Pine can execute a sneak at 198 pounds and five and 11 and a half. They're not looking for him to be part of the running game in any shape or form. So they can focus a little bit more about the back in the backfield with him, um, you know, with Ian book and with Tyler Buckner and even, you know, Jack Cohn was a big six foot three kid, you know, he could lean into that. So I, I think that's part of it. The other thing is, again, I think part of the evolution of this offensive line is now dealing with the movement and the angling and the and the twists and the stunts, you know, of them getting better at handling that. I, I also think Notre Dame was a little bit predictable what they did on those short yards. I'm sure that every Notre Dame fan thinks Notre Dame should get every third and two, 
uh, a first down, but it, you know, you got to give the other team credit sometimes and maybe uh, make them defend more than just you pounding it right at them up the middle. So that would be my answer. Yeah. I, I touched on this a little bit earlier too, in terms of, it seems like Notre Dame is not necessarily getting to the linebacker level with its offensive alignment. And then the linebackers are filling and preventing the running backs from picking up the needed yardage. So I, I think there was one play specifically where it looked like it might've been Jared Patterson was so committed to trying to get down and help on a double team that he sort of like wasn't necessarily needed to do that and sort of fell off balance and then didn't get to the linebacker. That linebacker sort of scraped down the line of scrimmage and was able to fill. Um, so I, 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 as I mentioned before, I would try to use a fullback a little bit more in those situations. I think that would be helpful. David Sherwood has shown some ability to do that. Um, so I would, I would look to that potentially, but I, yeah, to me, like the Marshall and BYU comparisons aren't aren't necessarily the same. Jared Patterson is is in a much better position to be able to help this team rather than just be sort of out there to get back on the field than he was against Marshall. Um, so, I think there needs to be the interesting thing is like Notre Dame has had some success in these short yard situations passing the ball. So you would think the linebackers would be more hesitant um, than they have been, um, but they're not. So I think maybe Notre Dame's just going to have to consider to keep keep throwing the ball until the defenses maybe respect those tight ends and receivers a little bit more um, and, and not try to pound its head against the wall. If it's not working. Next question is from at Jay Schatzman two is Steve Angeli ready. If called upon the quarterback room seems to be fairly empty. What are the quarterback's strengths slash weakness at this point? Okay. I would let, let me start with the middle part of that question. The quarterback room seems to be fairly empty. I mean, they have three scholarship quarterbacks, and if you're wondering about the quality of them, I mean, Drew Pine, the number two, is playing at a high level. I'm not sure that there are a lot of number three quarterbacks around the country that are performing well. You look at Oklahoma in the Texas game, uh, Dylan Gabriel got hurt, and they had to bring in their second-team quarterback, and guess how many points he produced against Texas? Zero. I know that is zero, yes. I can do that math. Yeah, and uh, I don't think that Alabama's backup quarterback is anywhere in the same uh, stratosphere as Bryce Young is. Uh, but the teams that do have good backup quarterbacks, for example, Oregon State, um, Gold Branson um, was really good against Stanford and leading that comeback. So there are good backups. But again, I think when you're looking with a transfer portal, you know, you're not going to have a real strong number three quarterback at a lot of places. I remember kind of researching a couple weeks ago the different um, transfer portal quarterbacks, and I couldn't believe how many there were last year. I mean, it was it was incredible. I It was well over 50. I want to say it was in the 70s or the 80s of kids that transferred. So, again, um, you know, to, to – to have a quarterback room like Notre Dame where they had, uh, you know, two younger starters that were competing against each other and a developmental quarterback and Steve Angeli, I think is pretty good. And then Ron Paulus being a fourth quarterback, there's people don't even have that. So let me get to the meat of the question, which is, is Steve Angeli ready if called upon? I think Steve is ready to run a small part of the playbook, a package of plays that fit his skill set that he can get good at Every week that he has practice in Notre Dame's offense is a week that he can get better 
because again, at the beginning of the year, he was the scout team quarterback. He was running other people's looks and not the Notre Dame offense. And and he's a mature kid, both physically and mentally. Um, The thing is, what are you asking him to do if he comes in? Are you asking him to beat Stanford or UNLV? I think he could manage a game. If you're asking him to beat Clemson or USC or uh, Syracuse, I don't think that that's realistic at this point. Uh, Not without a lot of luck in other parts of the game. So um, what are the quarterback strengths and weaknesses at this point? Does that mean Steve Angeles or everybody? I thought he, I, I thought it meant just Angeles and I, I don't know what I don't I don't it, I don't it think. has only it doesn't have the apostrophe after the second or after the S so I'm assuming so what Steve Angeli is I mean he's a guy that could run as a quarterback sneak he's a six foot three kid I think he's 210 pounds I think he's got a decent arm um intelligent played against very good competition uh college competition is a step up but at least he's used to very good high school competition where drew pine and tyler buckner both had a much bigger adjustment um tyler playing small school football in california and drew playing in connecticut um but i don't think he's a super dynamic quarterback that's you know gonna wow you with some physical skills uh i just think he's a solid guy that could develop into something good um and and that's what I would that's I'll leave it there yeah he he was he played good high school competition he wasn't necessarily like someone that his team was leaning on to be the entire offense or anything like that so it wasn't like he was putting up Tyler Buckner type numbers in high school um but I mean I think I mean it's hard to know if he's ready I don't I don't know how you can say about any freshman quarterback whether they're ready or not until you until you actually see them playing a game um I I think he needs to be ready um I think he has a good arm he's a little bit mobile and he does seem to understand the game well so I think if put in in a pinch he could be able to help out um and uh yeah, I mean, I think it's incredibly unfair to say the quarterback room seems fairly empty when the second-string quarterback is playing as well as he's playing right now. It's like, well, how many more quarterbacks do you need in the in the room? Um, because it's just that's just not that's just not how college, college football is played right now. Now, is it a commentary of like, well, yeah, you have four, but do you do you really think Ron Paulus is is, is going to be able to contribute it or, or will be asked to play at any point? I'm not really sure of that, but I don't know. I don't know how many quarterback rooms across the country are four deep in guys that you could you would trust to play. Um, so even if Notre Dame isn't necessarily three deep because you're just not sure about Steve Angeli, but I still think I think Steve Angeli is probably just as good of a third option as many teams have. I I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. I to be fair, I don't. I don't know the third string quarterback for many teams, um, but I can't imagine there's a lot of guys that you have a ton of uh, trust in and a track re- resume a track record of success that you'd be like, okay, we're fine. If we have to put that guy in next question is from at Steve go forth five. Is there a game or two that you'd expect Notre Dame to build a large enough lead that would allow backup quarterback, Steve Angeli to get some garbage time plays and any word on getting a 2023 quarterback recruit, not named Carr. Okay. I would say um, to the first question, those two games are probably coming up the next two weeks and, and that it may not get that far of a separation. I think Notre Dame's like a 15 and a half point favorite over Stanford. 
I would imagine the UNLV spread would be pretty similar. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on with UNLV's quarterback, Doug Brunfield. He had been playing pretty well this year. He got hurt in their San Jose State game really early, and they got run by San Jose State 40-7. to So it's a big deal whether he's playing or not. Um, but I would say those are the two games that would offer some possibility uh, because then you're getting the Syracuse-Clemson. That's not going to happen then. Uh, Navy, probably not just because of the few possessions that will be in the Navy game. And then, uh, then you have uh, – bc and usc it's not going to happen against usc so maybe the bc game the thing about it is when people ask about that and i do think it's important to try to work him in if there's a spot to do it but drew pine needs these reps too you know he's still a fairly inexperienced quarterback so you don't want to you know pull him from a game that maybe you would have pulled jack cone from uh that early uh so you know, and then the second part of the question, do you want to answer this first before we answer on the 2023 thing? Yeah, well, I, I can I can handle that. Um, the first first in terms of Angelia, you're I mean, the next two games should be those opportunities. And if not, then it's the Navy game. But um, it, it's it's of less value, like the later in the season yeah. it goes, the, the less value it is. I think the idea is that can you get him some time now? So just in case something happens to Drew Pine, that he would be ready to go. Um, I think it has, I think people are more interested in that than like making sure that Stephen Jelly is ready to go for next season. Um, so I, I think re- regardless, you still, whenever you can get him in the game, I think you need to take, take advantage of that. I, I wanted to see him play against North Carolina, um, but the defense <laughs> wasn't, uh, wasn't holding up its end of the deal yeah. in terms of keeping that, uh, totally out of reach um, with some big plays there. So it felt like UNC could make a comeback if things got wonky. Um, in terms of the 2023 re- recruit not named Carr, I, there's no news yet. I know Kyle Kelly has been covering that. There's potentially some news on, on the horizon that we're, we're monitoring. Um, but uh, I think our subscribers on the Insider Lounge will be getting that first. So if you're not a subscriber, um, I would suggest you take advantage of that. All right, next question is from at Summer John. Who is our starting quarterback next year? Oh, gosh. Too bad <laughs> Miss Cleo's not still in business. Um, you know, I, I it was really interesting to hear Malik's comments about Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine because that's kind of the way that I'm leaning it. And, and, and it's hard to justify it when Drew Pine – is right now on a trajectory to set the school record for passing efficiency and completion percentage. But again, I think we need to see more of him. I think what's fair to say is that there's going to be an open competition in the spring, whether it's Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner, whether it's one of those guys in a grad transfer, which I think, again, if Drew Pine plays well the whole year, that really eliminates the need for a grad transfer whether Steve Angeli can stick his name in the ring, I think that's going to be difficult unless he plays and starts games this year. But if you're going for, you know, me doing a parlor trick here and predicting, I'm going to say it's Tyler Buckner. Yeah. I mean, three weeks ago, it was anger over Notre Dame, not getting a grad transfer in this past uh, off season. And then starting to say, Hey, should we be looking at Hank Bachmeyer? 
um, which guys should we be targeting in the grad transfer or over the transfer portal this next off season. And now it's like, well, is Drew Pine good enough to to bench Tyler Bucker next year? So that's a three, if that, if that much can happen in three weeks, I don't know how the heck we're supposed to know what's going to happen next September, but um, I think I would still say Tyler Buckner for now, but Drew Pine can certainly convince me otherwise as the yeah. season progresses. It's just too small of a window to say, okay, yep, Drew Pine, he's the starter next year. Like, and and the question was asked to Marcus Freeman of whether or not he, he second guess he second guesses whether or not they should go with Tyler Buckner, and he said no, pretty pretty confidently. Um, I don't know that he could answer that in any other way than saying no. I, um. But I, I think I think he was being honest. I don't think he was just saying that to say that. I, I think well, he 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 justified it too. He said he earned it in practice, right? And and when we watched practice, Tyler was the better quarterback in practice. Now Drew looks pretty darn good in these games, but as Malik mentioned, you're going to see some elite defenses coming up once you start to hit Syracuse Clemson stretch, um, and. And that doesn't mean that Drew won't step up to the plate. He's seen those kind of defenses. He played in stretches against Cincinnati and uh, Wisconsin last year. Those were two top 10 defenses. Now, his pass efficiency rating in those games was about 100, which is 60 points lower than it is. But he was able to move the ball against those teams. So let's see. You know, there's there's just a lot more that we have to learn. And we have seen Drew Pine at his worst, and that was pretty bad. Can you imagine if Drew Pine started the game against Ohio State the way he started against Cal? Yeah. Like that would have been brutal. Um, so I, I, I'm not saying that's what it would have happened if in, in a different world where Drew Pine was named the starting quarterback and going into the season. That would be. I'm not sure that's how he would have played, but um, I just think that they made the decision for I think the right reasons, and um, they'll be faced with making that decision again in the offseason next question is from four horsemen podcast at horseman pod why isn't john sott being recognized by the ray guy award okay i'm probably going to be a little bit naive here they they do that at the end of the season if if um, oh no 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 eric they you you got to be up on your ray guy award they recognize eight eight punters per week i think they might call them raise guys okay and so i am I when we switched from the Tribune to Rivals, I I used to vote on almost every one of these awards, and most of them have followed me over. The Ray Guy one is not one that I get emails from, so I I was unfamiliar with the eight guys concept. So why isn't he? Um, if if he hasn't been recognized at this point, then somebody's got their head, um, in a strange place because <laughs> someone's has been punted too many times <laughs> been punted too many times because John Sott is doing two things that you want one he's the number three punter in the whole country at 46.6 yards a punt and then he's also very high in net punting and that's even with Notre Dame coughing up a long punt return during the BYU game he Notre Dame is seventh in net punting and that's really what matters. If you, you're a punter and you have a high average and you're always punting it in the end zone and getting touchbacks or you're not putting it in, you know, you're, you're have low kicks and they're being returned. Right. And that isn't really helping your team. So I would say John Sott should be a finalist. If he punts like this all season, he should be a finalist for the real Ray guy award at the end, not this eight guys or five guys, burgers <laughs> and fries or whatever it is. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't think I'm on the mailing list anymore, but like you as well, I, I do vote for the – or I have vote, voted for the Ray Guy Award at the end of the season. Um, and uh, I, I, I was pretty shocked to look back <laughs> – they're they've they've done this for every week of the season so far and he was not one of the eight guys highlighted so maybe they still think he's at harvard i don't i don't know maybe they didn't get the the transfer news but he deserves some recognitions for what he what he's been doing because he's been um would it be fair to say he's their most impactful transfer would he has he been more impactful than brandon joseph I don't know. I think I mean, it's probably close, right? <laughs> it's probably close. Brandon Joseph has played pretty well, but Sot has really helped them in terms of field position. And and I mean, when you look at all three of their transfers, uh, Chris Smith has done some nice things. Now he hasn't been that impact player, but he's a, he's certainly an important part of their depth now that Jacob Lacey's not around. And he had a he made his first start in a Notre Dame uniform against BYU. So I I think, you know, the kudos to getting that much mileage out of those two Harvard transfers. And the other thing that's interesting is they still believe that Bryce McPherson is the better punter of the two of them down the road. Um, And, and for him to be around John Sott and learning from him, I think is, is incredible. I watched those guys during a couple periods um, during fall camp and I was impressed by both of them you weren't supposed to be able to hit the ceiling consistently in the new indoor athletic facility and both of them would punt so it was just maybe a couple feet below hitting the ceiling in that place and just their placement the spin that they could put on the ball um, really impressed me so I don't normally like to watch punting but those <laughs> guys make it kind of enjoyable yeah, that's uh that's good to know for the future as well. All right, last question is from at Drew Brennan77. I understand that Notre Dame has the chance to prove themselves in the next four weeks, but a bit surprised that Notre Dame is not getting more credit for beating and controlling the games against five and one UNC at their place and then sixteenth ranked BYU. Thoughts is Marshall akin to Michigan twenty nineteen? Well, Notre Dame did pick up some um points in the AP poll. They had had zero going into the BYU game and they came out of it with, with some votes. Um, and I think it's fair. I, I can understand why people are a little perplexed as, as one-sided as that North Carolina game could have been and still a 13 point win on the road, how North Carolina is ranked ahead of them. Uh, I think that people got pretty excited about North Carolina winning on the road at Miami. Um, and the Marshall game does matter. I mean, North Carolina doesn't have a loss like that uh, to a team that really hasn't done much since they beat Notre Dame. And and Marshall continued and been this, you know, kind of group of five dynamo, then, then I think Notre Dame wouldn't be docked so much for that. Uh, but they have plenty of opportunities down the road to convince the pollsters of what their, what their potential is. I don't think this is a, a situation that's akin to Michigan. Michigan was a decent team, but they absolutely rocked Notre Dame in 2019. Mm-hmm. And and you just couldn't, even though Michigan wasn't all that impressive after that, Michigan kind of flattening out hurt Notre Dame because they didn't climb and you didn't feel like you could put Notre Dame in front of them. There wasn't a, a big enough win to justify Notre Dame jumping past Michigan it was just too dominant and too recent to do that. I think the Marshall game 
once Notre Dame convinces people that that was an outlier, I think people forget about Marshall. The the thing that I did when I was an um, AP voter, though, was if I was if I had a question about a team's schedule and the competition they had played, I would look at certain stat metrics, um, run offense, run defense, total defense, pass efficiency, and turnover margin. And and you can really see if a team's success is going to be sustainable. And right now, Notre Dame is in it in the top 25 in any of those categories. Drew Pine is individually, but team pass efficiency, Notre Dame is 44th. They are moving up in most of those categories. But right now, that's not a sustainable model. They have to continue to improve in all those areas. If they don't, it will not hold up. This improvement will not hold up against the Clemson and the USC's of the world. And, and so, you know, I think they're right where they deserve to be right now. And and it, again, if they continue to win, they'll have opportunities to to push their way back into the poll. Yeah, I I'll I'll cede the floor to 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 Eric on this. Being the voice of 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 uh, experience as someone who was a longtime AP voter, um, to me, like at the this point in the season, I still think you award the teams with one loss ahead of a two loss team in Notre Dame that lost to Marshall. So. I don't have a problem with that. I think we'll, Notre Dame will certainly move up if it continues to win and take care of business. And I think within the next two weeks, even though that these wins that, that Notre Dame will have won't be against impressive teams, there will probably be more teams that lose, and Notre Dame will probably get into the top twenty-five before before the uh, the trip to Syracuse. If I if I had to guess, that would be my prediction. North Carolina winning helps them. It's going to sure. help them in the long run. Absolutely. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share your or share your share our podcast feed with your best friend. Our YouTube channel keeps on rolling along. We recruit we recorded a Monday Night Live on the BYU game, and we'll have our place your bets predictions for the Stanford game later this week. And we'll be back here next week to recap the Stanford game and maybe do a recruiting check-in. Until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your pregame and postgame coverage needs. <laughs>